Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. I'm Oliver Hartwig and today we are joined by James Kirsted. Hi James. Hi Oliver. You have been working for a while now on a report on the state of our universities and in particular you are looking at the employment of non-academics in our universities. What made you choose this topic? Well, I came here to work on all things higher ed, and as you know, I'm still teaching at Vic, Victoria University as well. So I'm interested in various debates to do with higher education, and one of them is the idea that there's this great administrative bloat at universities. I mean, that's a debate that's been had in the U.S., also in the U.K., so I was interested in looking at the figures in New Zealand and seeing how we how we stack up. And it's not so much a debate in New Zealand just yet, as far as I know, and what I have read in your draft report, there hasn't been a comparable analysis of the employment of non-academics in our university system just yet. There hasn't even been a debate much in New Zealand, right? That's right. And I think the one of the reasons for that is because we don't really have the figures in the same way. So in the UK, you can go online and find studies produced by both by think tanks and by academics working at universities for sort of institutions within universities that look at higher education and, univers and you know, the study of universities. In the US, there are lots of think tanks that produce reports on administrative bloat, some of them you know, more aggressive than others, but a lot of them just using the same body of figures. And in New Zealand, yeah, there's not so much. There are figures that are available through the Ministry of Education, which we've used. But you really have to look for them. We really have to look for them, and you have to collate them, and you have to put them all together. And so we tried to do all that. We've also tried to put them in context, in, in comparative perspective, because, you know, it's not that useful really just to say we have X number of non-academics in New Zealand universities without getting some idea of what's a typical number, you know, in comparable university systems. Well, that's the kind of work we would really like to do here at the initiative, uh, work that no one has ever done before, which is still interesting and which, which is missing really from our debates in New Zealand. We should probably start by saying, actually, we all love our non-academics at universities because there are some people doing really fantastic jobs and there's some really useful people there actually supporting the work of academics. Exactly. I'm glad you said that straight off. The first sentence of our report is universities need academics. And that's definitely something that I've experienced. And I know that Michael... And non-academics. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, universities need non-academics, <laughs> the first, uh, first uh, sentence of the report. Michael Johnston, our colleague here, who used to teach at VEC, has had a similar experience that these people are often extremely helpful. They often help us out in areas you know, we don't know what we're doing in terms of administration. So yes, we need some. We may need a good number of them. The question is, can there be too much of a good thing? Let's and, just specify yeah. who we're talking about. So yep. non-academics at universities, we're talking about technicians. We're talking about librarians, probably. We're talking about managers. We're talking about uh, student support staff. Yep, uh, student welfare, people who work in student welfare. And, and probably a whole range of other jobs, probably down to gardeners. Yes, so we, maybe we can talk about this a bit later, but the, the numbers of those different categories have also changed. So we've had a, an increase in student support, general support staff, and at the same time, technicians and gardeners and cleaners and things like that. Their numbers, the numbers of those people who are directly employed by universities, mm -hmm. they've gone down over the past few decades across the English-speaking world. Mm -hmm. And it seems that all these university systems in the United States, Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand, have decided that one thing you can do is outsource some of these non-academics so, so what's happened over the past few decades is that these universities have increasingly moved to move those people onto short-term contracts or, or just employed them through cleaning companies, for example. Okay. And at the same time, they've also hired more white-collar non-academics. So the numbers of managers and so on, they've increased. So let's get into your findings. or Actually, let's get into your working hypothesis because you have actually studied overseas. You've studied in the US, in the UK. Yeah. You know the German university system a little bit, I think. Yeah. And Canada as well. well so you probably uh, yeah. came to this project with a working hypothesis, how New Zealand compares. 
What, yeah. What was the working hypothesis? Well, I, I actually thought that New Zealand wouldn't be so bad in terms of, or wouldn't have that many non-academics in its universities compared to the United States, for example, because mm-hmm. I, I guess not so much because of my own experience, but just because in the United States, the discourse about administrative load is so much more prominent. And I was reading something just around the time I started writing the report where at Stanford now, you could, act, you could actually give a butler to every student at Stanford and still have administrators left over. So I was expecting the American figure to be huge and New Zealand to be kind of modest in comparison. I thought maybe we might still have, you know, a slightly surprising number of non-academics, but it would be dwarfed by the American figure. And whereas, was whereas, it? Whereas in fact, we lead the English-speaking world in the number of non-academics per academic. So if you, because it's pretty pointless just to say the number in total, because obviously New Zealand has fewer people, fewer universities. But sure. if you compare them to the number of, of academics, New Zealand has the highest number. And I think what's going on with the states is just that the discourse is sort of dominated by the Ivy League schools and places like Stanford and Berkeley. So those places are actually quite fancy, and in lots of ways, they're quite untypical of the rest of the American system. So when you look at the American American system is huge. American system is huge. And when you look at the American system in aggregate and average figures, actually, you know, a lot of the other universities and colleges in the American system, they don't have, they don't. They can't afford to hire that many administrators or non-academics. Uh, there was one of the figures, actually, that I remember from your draft report. In the whole of the U.S., you have more than 1.4 million academics working at American universities. Is that about right? Oh, I can't remember that. I mean, if it's in my report, it must be must be true. I think I, it's probably correct yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, must be, must be. Yeah. Um, okay. It's certainly a huge system, and it's very varied in ways that... So New, Ze- so New are, Zealand obviously yeah. much smaller. There are differences. Looking at the relative. Yeah, and there are differences between these yeah. systems. But the reason that we compared them is partly a matter of culture. The Anglophone u- university systems are similar in lots of different ways um, that maybe European continental universities are a bit different. So, it, it, I mean, the U.S. and New Zealand are, are quite different in, in scale and variety. But I think in, in other ways, uh, for example, the Australian and the Canadian system are quite comparable. Okay. So, so what's the finding, the, the headline finding? How many non-academics do we employ at universities for each academic? Okay, so basically it depends on how you do the figures in New Zealand, but basically the headline finding is that there's about 1.4 non-academics employed at New Zealand universities for every academic. So there are more non-academics than academics. and Considerably more. Considerably more, yeah. And um, so another way of putting that is that 59% of, the, of all employees, of all staff at New Zealand universities are in fact non-academics. And how does that compare then? Okay, so our closest sort of rival or the country that we're most similar to, the university system that we're most similar to is Australia. There's maybe your listeners won't be surprised to hear. And in Australia, there's about 1.2 non-academics per academic. And in other words, about 55% of total university staff in Australia is non-academics. Now, if you go to the UK or to the US, there's actually quite a big difference because in both of those countries overall, universities actually have more academics than non-academics. So in those countries, the ratio is the other way around. So in other words, in the UK, for every non-academic, they actually hire about 1.3 academics. And in the US, for every non-academic, they hire about 1.2 non-academics. So if you look at total university staff in the UK, only about 44% of them are non-academics. And in the US, it's only about 45%. So there's a lot of figures there, but, but the basic point is just that in, the, in New Zealand especially, and also in Australia, the majority of university staff is non-academics. And in the other English-speaking countries we looked at, we unfortunately didn't have figures for Canada for this, but in the other countries we looked at, it's actually a, min- a minority of university staff are non-academics. So two questions come to mind. First question 
Has it always been like that? And the second question is, what explains the difference? Yeah, and that's very tough because we tried to look at this as much as we could, uh, but it was actually quite hard to get statistics that go that far back. Mm. So we could find some statistics for, this, for, for the United States that go back as far as the 1970s. And there seems to have been a huge increase in the number of non-academics hired at American universities in the 70s and 80s. And in New Zealand? In New Zealand, it's really hard to see because we tried to get... Uh, on the Ministry of Education website, you can get figures going back to 2016, and then there's a kind of a gap because of the way they collect the data, and then it goes back to 2011. And in two, from 2016 to 2021, there's actually a very slight decrease in the number of non-academics. From 2011 to 2015, there's a very, very slight increase. So, th so there's nothing happening there. And then we, we actually wrote to the Ministry of Education and sort of begged them, can you give us more figures that go further back? And could they? And they were very kind, and they, they gave us some figures that went back to 2002. Right. And it seems like if you look at the 2002 to 2011 period, yes, there is an increase in the number of non-academics, but especially at the beginning of that period, so 2002, 2003, 2004, that kind of period. Mm -hmm. But it probably isn't the case that that, ex that explains the, the big difference between the numbers. So it looks in all, in all of these English-speaking countries that we looked at, it looks to be the case that the big increase probably wasn't in the 2000s. It probably wasn't in the 90s. It was probably some time between the 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s that there was a big increase, but it's very hard to trace. And you wouldn't have a hypothesis what drove it back then? Well, I mean, I think the, the hypothesis that people bandy about for elite universities is just that if you're paying for a fancy place like Stanford, then, you know, the university wants to make it very pleasant, so they bring in all these non-academics to sort of help the students and run the gym and run nice gardens and things like that. I don't know how good an explanation that is for public universities. And then you just have to look at the sort of nature of bureaucracies, really. As we said at the beginning, bureaucracies can be tremendously helpful and useful, and universities do need them. But of course, there's all, always this tendency for them to sort of reproduce themselves, because if you're working on a project as an administrator or a non-academic, you probably think, okay, this is important, and naturally, and it's nothing wrong with that. Maybe we should bring in somebody else. And so they, they have a slight tendency to sort of grow rather than shrink. And that may explain a lot of it. But as I say, that, that doesn't seem to have happened dramatically in the past sort of 10 to 20 years. It seems to have happened before that. What, one thing I should say is that the size of New Zealand universities and the size of universities in all these systems exploded tremendously after the Second World War. Sure. There's lots more people going to universities, especially in the 60s and 70s. So there still seems to be more non-academics added than academics during some period where the non-academics overtake the academics at some point, but we don't know w when that was. So there's a certain amount of the growth in non-academic numbers, which is explained just by the growth of universities, but we don't think that all of it is explained by the growth in universities. Well, the other question is actually how reliable are the figures? You already mentioned that there was some outsourcing happening at universities. So would you say that actually some of the non-academic jobs that used to be done by university personnel 20, 30 years ago are now done by contractors and they wouldn't actually appear in the figures. That's another point, yeah. So and it's actually interesting that our figures for non-academics would actually be even higher if this outsourcing pr process hadn't taken place because the university, by hiring kind of cleaners on external contracts or on short-term contracts, those people are still around and, I, of course, we definitely need them, but they're not counted as on the administrative payroll or on the non-academic payroll. So, yeah, I think the, the, the numbers of non-academics hired by universities are probably even greater there, I think there's a bit of a problem because a lot of people who work for the university now who are more blue-collar, because they're not officially employees, there's some problems there to do with labor relations and the sociology of universities that basically we've outsourced a lot of the blue-collar people. And, and they because don't... Because you can't really outsource the others. 
I, I, I guess, yeah. Uh, but, but that just means that the if you look at the group of people who are in universities now, both academics who are obviously highly educated and the non-academics who now are overwhelmingly kind of white-collar people with degrees, then you get this situation where there's very little sort of class diversity, right? And so that may compound problems that we've seen in universities of not enough viewpoint diversity, right? People sort of thinking along the same lines. And it's very much a kind of upper middle class place now at universities. Now, we may have this idea of universities as august institutions and institutions dedicated to teaching, to research. But when I read your report, that was not the image that was left for me. It was more the image of a bureaucracy, just a typical any kind of bureaucracy that just grows over time. Is that what it is? Well, I mean, it's a range of things. There's lots going on in universities. Universities are very complex institutions, and there's lots of great work going on by academics, and there's lots of useful things going on that ac academ that uh, sort of non-academics do. But definitely, I mean, humans are kind of the same anywhere, whatever they're doing. And I think that you know a lot of economists who've worked on the subject of bureaucracy have argued that bureaucrats are no different than anybody else. So, I mean, uh, Gordon Tullock, for example, argued in the 60s and 70s when there was a big sort of revolution in the way people looked at bureaucracies that you shouldn't just look at bureaucracies as sort of these public spirited people who are you know just helping organizations yes they do do that but also they're human beings and they have their own drives and they have their own interests and some of those are very creditable right so they want to feed their family they want to get ahead in life sometimes they want to kind of push their vision of the good and those are all great things but the danger is if bureaucracies grow too much then they can actually start to distort the the main goal of the institutions that they're supposed supposedly serving. And it changes the nature of work in these institutions. I remember I worked in a small organization once, not here, I should emphasize, and everybody knew each other and it was a small team, and then it grew. And at some stage, we hired an administrator, and suddenly I had to fill in event request forms, and I had to put in my name and my mobile number, and everybody in the office said an open plan office, and everybody knew me. And you could see the growth of bureaucracy just by having more people. And suddenly you need forms for things that previously you could just do at a water cooler conversation. Is that roughly what's happening at universities? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a common experience that people think, oh, there's too much bureaucracy, there's too many forms to fill in. I mean, as I say, it's complicated because often these things are necessary and often they're very helpful. But I think that if you look at these figures, the number of non-academics in New Zealand universities, it's very difficult to argue. It would be very difficult to argue, for example, that we need more non-academics just because you can look at comparable countries and they are getting by and they have you know often very respected university systems they're getting by with fewer non-academics than us so that's just an interesting question so why do we need non so many more non-academics to run our new zealand universities which are you know well rated but not world beating at the moment uh, and you know quite good uk or us or canadian universities can get by with with fewer uh, people so that That immediately kind of raises questions around uh, efficiency that uh, I think are good ones. It's a common feature, of course, of discussions related to public sector employment. When you talk to police officers, they will tell you that they spend a lot of their time not on the beat but filling in forms. When you talk to doctors or nurses, they will tell you the same. They're not in the operating theater, but they're filling in forms. And is it the same at universities? I mean, you are still at university part-time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you in a situation where you find yourself increasingly doing jobs that are only required to keep the bureaucracy happy? Well, yeah, it's hard to tell. I mean, I, I think that it's definitely there are processes where I think this could be done in a less bureaucratic manner. So, such as, can you give us an example? Uh, or are you breaching confidentiality? Well, I probably shouldn't. I don't want to rat on, on particular processes or people, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I just think 
there are obvious ways, I think, in which in which bureaucracy might be lightened. But as I say, universities are complicated places. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that my own experience as a lecturer often isn't so bad. And I think that's partly because the administrators that are most helpful are the ones that are kind of at the coalface. They're helping out um, lecturers and students, you know, as they're acting in the university, as they're working or they're trying to find books or they're trying to find their course or whatever. Uh, one change that I think has been negative since I've been at the university is that we used to have a, an administrator for our program. And in fact, most of the departments of the programs in the university used to have a, a dedicated administrator. And that was extremely useful because this person was on site and they knew the staff intimately and they knew the students and they knew how to do things in that particular department. And one of the trends I've seen in the past 10 years is to take those people away from the departments of the programs where they, where they can see what's going on and put them in some kind of center, either at the school level, which has a kind of cluster of programs in it, or at the faculty level. And I think that you can't actually have the situation where the experience for an individual academic isn't so bad, and, and there are still lots of administrators, because a lot of these non-academics are almost working in their own sort of centers, and they're working on their own stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that, also sometimes that makes sense, because, you know, IT, for example, running a huge IT network is a very complicated thing, and so it might well make sense that you have sort of several teams of people working on things independently. But there's a little bit of a tendency, I think, for universities to develop this kind of two-track system where then you have these two worlds which aren't really cooperating as much as they should and, y- you know, they're almost sort of separate uh, separate institutions. So that's your perspective, of course, on the perspective of a lecturer at university. What would it be like from the perspective of a student? Would uh, the growth of the administrative sector within the university actually be felt by students and in what way? So here's the curious thing, that in New Zealand we have a lot of non-academics compared to the number of academics. We don't actually have that many non-academics compared to the number of students. We don't actually have that many academics compared to the number of students either. So compared to these other Anglophone university systems, New Zealand actually has a lot of students per academic. So what New Zealand students actually feel underserved in a way by all universities, by international comparisons? Well, it, it may well be. Yeah, I don't, I don't know of any survey evidence that the, in which New Zealand students say that. But I mean, I think that Australian and New Zealand vice chancellors, for whatever reason, have quite aggressively pursued this strategy of increasing class sizes because they think it's economically efficient. I mean, it is economically efficient in the sense that if you pay me to teach 300 people, you can you know get fees from 300 people in an hour or you know a course of a term. If I'm teaching a class with 100 people, your revenue will be a third of what it was previously, right? It's just obvious sort of economics. Um, but that means that the classroom experience can suffer because there's a lot of good educational research showing that small classes are better. I mean, we're familiar with this principle at schools. So and it's kind of curious that New Zealand vice chancellors have pursued this strategy because in a lot of the international league tables that are used to, to rank and rate universities, they actually give you more points for having small class sizes. And this is something I've ha- we've had difficulty with in the classics program is that we have these small classes for Greek and Latin. Um, and they're extremely good cl- uh, classes, extremely high level. We can give students a lot of individual attention. But from the point of view of the managers, they're not economically efficient. So I think that's something that could change in New Zealand, especially because when you look at these other places like Australia, UK and the US, especially with the higher end US and UK institutions, they actually have very small ratios of staff to, to students. And of course, you can go too far in that direction as well, because at Stanford, they have quite small classes. And they also have the situation I referred to earlier, where there's so many non-academics helping or supposedly helping the students that they actually become a bit, there's a bit too much. And maybe the students are sort of 
bit pampered or something. We're not going to get there in New Zealand, I think. But anyway, it, just to show that, just to say that we probably could have, in a funny way, we could have smaller classes, we could have more academic staff in New Zealand uh, compared to these other countries. And what about the university's management? I mean, top management. Yeah. When you look at the salaries of our vice chancellors at New Zealand universities, they typically rank in the top 10 or 20 of public servants in New Zealand. But actually, as your report points out, by international sense, they're not particularly well paid. Yeah, so it's, oh, it's a whole debate about what is a well-paid person, how do you define that, should you, just, should you just let the market do it, or are there some areas of life like executive pay where the market isn't really functioning properly? I mean, I can say that, so Don Freshwater, the vice chancellor of Auckland University, who was the highest paid vice chancellor in New Zealand, she was paid 755000 New Zealand dollars in 2021. So that may sound like a lot, it may sound like a little, but compared to other Anglophone countries, it's sort of in the middle. And the, the average New Zealand vice chancellor makes less than the average vice chancellor in Australia and the US, but a bit more than the average vice chancellor in the UK or in the Canadian big three universities, Vancouver, Toronto, McGill, which is the only ones we could get data for. So it's kind of middling. So all these vice chancellors may be paid too much, you could argue, or you could argue actually that it's a very tough job being a vice chancellor. And if you want to attract talent in New Zealand, then you're going to have to pay salaries that compete with the salaries in Australia, especially because we're so close and in, and in other parts of the English speaking world. Yeah, and of course, um, Dawn Freshwater came from the Australian university system, so she would have probably arrived in New Zealand with a pay cut. Yeah, uh, right, and so a lot of them do this. I mean, a lot of them work as vice chancellors or deans or something high up in administrations in the UK or Australia, especially. In, in New Zealand, there's a lot of people who come from the rest of the Commonwealth, but also it's not unheard of for top brass to come from North America. So altogether, what stands out for you after doing this research? Well, I guess just the headline fact that We lead the Anglophone world, at least the countries we've looked at. We, we didn't look at Ireland, for example, but we have more non-academics per academic than in Australia, than in the UK and, and in the US. And as I said to you, that's actually surprised to me when I started this project. I thought, oh, America is going to be really, you know, they're going to have so many non-academics and administrators. And maybe we'll be, you know, we'll, maybe I'll see that we also have a bit of a problem or there's some issue to address there, but we're going to have fewer than them. But actually, no we have more non-academics per academic than they do. So that's uh, it's quite striking. So what would you like to achieve with this report? Would you just like to start a debate or do you have any concrete policy recommendations? No, I think at this point we just want to start a debate really and just sort of put some numbers out there which really haven't been co collected before. And then people can kind of see which bits of the university they want to talk about more and which bits of the university they want to talk about less. So There's an argument, for example, that some, even some areas of the administration or the non-academic workforce, which have grown in the past few years, like um, student welfare, th there's, a, there's an argument that they may be justified because we've had this growth in sort of reported uh, mental health problems among, among students and staff, and so that, that actually may be helpful. On the other hand, you know, there are areas of the university administrative workforce, for example, the diversity, equity, and inclusion services, where it's actually very controversial what's going on at universities. And this is part of the reason they've had the big debate in the States about administrative bloat, is that these sets of university employees, they're actually highly political, or at least what they're doing is a, a subject of a lot of political controversy in society as a whole. So I think, I, I'm not necessarily saying we need to kind of cut all those services immediately, because some of them, again, may be justifiable, but 
we need to be able to see more about where this money is going and why there are all these people working at the university. And, and just, to, just to sort of make sure that taxpayer money, which is being used in New Zealand, is actually going towards things which people want. Because I think most New Zealanders, you know, if you tell them we have these universities, they do research, they educate people, most of them will say, great, you know, they, I'm happy for my taxpayer money to go to that. But then if you, if you say, actually, there's this whole debate at universities and some people think that, you know, universities are just pushing things in one direction politically and they're very intolerant of other views. And actually, there's a whole body of people at the university who are actually helping this. I'm not saying that's true, but this is a possibility. Then I think it's it's a different conversation. So I think we really just need to have more information about, about what's going on in universities and where the money's going. Final question. As we're preparing this report, we are still a few weeks away from publication. But can you already anticipate the political responses you are going to get once this report is out? I don't know. I mean, I don't like to anticipate. I mean, I think that, as I say, we this report is is not very polemical. I think if you read the report, I mean, no, we're not certainly not. We haven't gone in saying we need to axe all these people. We're going in saying, and very few of our reports are ever polemical. No, that's but the right. Responses we sometimes get. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So it's more like we need to talk about this. And as I say, I, I've put it out there that you know it may well be that people read these statistics and say. Actually, I have a good argument that we need to sustain this particular group of people at the university. I mean, I think it would be very tough to argue that we need more, because just because the figures are already kind of world-leading, or at least high in the set of Anglophone countries we looked at. But yeah, I think that I, I, I would welcome more debate. I mean, I, in a sense, I hope that there's lively debate about some of the numbers we put forward. But I mean, I think that the numbers we put forward are very solid. So it shouldn't be so much as controversial in that. It's more like we want to have a proper debate about administrators and non-academics in our universities. Well, then let's hope that we will get exactly this kind of debate when the report gets released. We're still about, I'd say, a month away from publication, and we look forward to the responses we're going to get. But for now, thank you very much, James. Thank you, Oliver. <laughs>